Welcome, everybody. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Steve Thayer, and this is Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and mental health. My co-host is Dr. Reed Robison. Reed is a psychiatrist and a seasoned psychedelic researcher and clinician. Today, we discuss the unconscious mind. We cover the therapeutic implications of unconscious contracts, intergenerational trauma and healing, what shadow work means, and Carl Jung's warning about the use of psychedelics, beware of unearned wisdom. Please enjoy. Okay, Steve, it's good to be here with you and talk about the unconscious. Yeah. Uh, What's the first thing that comes to mind in your practice when we talk about the unconscious or shadow work? Spooky stuff. Yeah. When I think of the unconscious, I think of, you know, this This is the the realm uh, that all the psychoanalysts were dealing in, Freud and, and Jung and Adler, and it uh, doesn't lend itself really well to empirical research because we don't have a ton of access to it. And it's, it's, it's like this place where our id is supposed to reside, all the things about us that uh, we don't want to admit to ourselves or uh, that drive our insecurities so there's like a mystery to it that's sort of spooky the unseen world the the skeletons in the closet yeah. but basically everything we can't see mm-hmm. our blind spots mm-hmm. and probably the reason Ram Dass got kicked out of Harvard back in the day of yeah. talking too much about the unseen the mm-hmm. uh, the stuff that we've yet to fully characterize or grasp although we seem to be getting better at that in yeah. recent years, right? Yeah, I think so. And it's the stuff that sometimes we collectively agree, even if it's an implicit agreement, that we ignore. Maybe as a society, on a macro level, or in sort of a, a smaller collective like a family or in a partnership. You know, these are the things that we don't want to talk about because they make us uncomfortable. The shadow yeah. is hard to look at. Yeah, let's run with that. I like that. The agreements concept there's this idea of unconscious contracts or yeah. agreements that we each have with one another with one another even if it's never stated and uh, in our work you can see how healing is sometimes quite disruptive or mm-hmm. it can be especially if you don't navigate those unspoken agreements we have with uh, our tribe right. as you begin to develop as a human or grow into your true self some of the ways you show up might be uncomfortable for others if you don't give them a heads up right yeah yeah because people get used to those our behavior according to the contracts Mm -hmm. and so if we're going to heal and maybe for us healing means i'm going to make some changes uh that go against the the quote-unquote contract it's going to make other people uncomfortable and maybe throws up into their consciousness what's been residing in the unconscious. And so it's disruptive to the relationship, I guess, in that sense. And so what to do about it? I guess one approach is have that conversation, even if it might feel awkward, but it's so helpful in preventing some of the, some of the rumble, some of the disruptive uh, shakeup that might occur, like sitting down and say, Hey mom, you know, I love you so much. You know, I've been doing this work in therapy and I've been learning some things. I don't always tell the truth about how I feel or mm-hmm. what I think. And uh, I'm going to try out a new way, but I just, I want you to know about it. And 
be in on this with me as I do this work of, of uh, setting aside fear and becoming myself. I like that. Don't ambush your loved ones with change. Mm-hmm. Give them a little bit of a, uh, a warning, a heads up. And especially if you, if you lead in with that expression of love, like, hey, I'm going to be doing some changing. Um, it's not a rejection of you. That often happens in family relationships, especially between parent and child, where the child's doing some changing. And that, that changing is based on some pain from their childhood. And so it can be difficult for parents not to take that personally. And, and uh, you know, I think that's often what causes some of the disruption that we're referencing when healing can be disruptive. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think about it where we, we're all wearing these invisible backpacks around full of stones, mm. like from our culture, from our experiences up until now, from, our, from the bosom of the family, just this, these different ways we show up and we don't even know they're there sometimes, so we, we bump into each other with them. But uh, having that open conversation about the unconscious agreements, about these unspoken, unseen things, can offload some of that, make mm-hmm. it make it a, mo- a lot more free to uh, navigate or less uh, bogged down by the baggage. Yeah, yeah. Awareness is very healing in that way. I'm picturing the profile of that backpack shrinking as you take the stones out of it, and so you're, it's less likely to to uh, be obstructive. It's, you're less likely to bump into somebody. Mm-hmm. And then if if you really reach enlightenment, right? <laughs> if you mm-hmm. really reach uh, thorough awareness um, of these contracts, these unconscious contracts that have been passed down from various sources, um, then you see them. And then if you see them, it's really hard to trip over them or bump into them. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with agreements or contracts, right? But mm-hmm. it's the, that conscious qualifier that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's chat about intergenerational healing work, uh, intergenerational trauma, societal trauma, Mm -hmm. things that might get passed on from generation to generation. Do you see that with people? Yeah. Again, I see it like on on multiple layers. Mm -hmm. There's the layer of the family. There's the layer of the the immediate culture that you're surrounded by. Um, There's the layer of our entire global culture. Uh, there's sort of the layer of, uh, you know, history is written by the victors. And so we have access to certain information about our past as a species, um, but not all the information. And so we inherit the biases that are implicit in the information that we have access to. Um, and that can, those biases can be useful for some and detrimental for others, I think. Yeah. And so practically speaking in, in the therapy room, Mm -hmm. How do you approach that? How do you address kind of the individual traumas, the big T, little t, and also the intergenerational ones? Uh, yeah. Do you treat them differently? I try to um, help people first see clearly because they'll certainly be aware of the emotion or the bodily felt sense that's triggered by a trauma, whether it's capital or little t, um, but they might not always understand where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like to help people create awareness around, okay, let's follow the breadcrumbs of this particular anxiety response or this particular panic response to its origin story. And if we might discover that this particular response has an origin that isn't in you, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's somebody else's story that's been passed on to you. And that insight alone can be really healing for people. It doesn't just take it away immediately, but it gives them an, an insight like, oh, maybe I don't have to react this way. You know, this is, uh, this is 40% my mom, or this is, you know, 40% my grandmother passed down to me through my mom. Yeah. That insight can be helpful. You know, that reminds me of... Uh an experience I had when working in an ayahuasca plant medicine retreat setting mm-hmm. internationally where we, where we can for now, of course, but uh, we were working with people with eating disorders and sometimes it would be the parents who come and do the work by proxy for their kids, meaning like do their own work so they can really help break that cycle and show up. But I remember coming into that and having these, these medicine team meetings with uh, the shamans and others coming from this very kind of rich indigenous heritage of healing work. And they would talk about uh, the things getting passed on from generation to generation as spirits, like negative or dark spirits. And the more we talked about it, the more I realized we're actually talking about the same thing, just with different language, where, you know, they talk about uh, these these uh, negative influences being passed on as spirits. And we might talk about societal trauma or, as an example, female oppression through the ages that's been so tragically present and showing up in ways of, uh, you know, this is what a, th- a thin beauty ideal is like. This is how you should behave. This is... Uh, what you should and shouldn't do, mm-hmm. and that becomes uh, extreme. That leads to a lot of suffering, a lot of uh, kind of repressed feelings, a lot of uh, you know sh- guilt and shame, and uh, you know unfair treatment showing up in all sorts of different conditions, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, trauma-related disorders, eating disorders, etc. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, a, as you say, a thing by a different name. A, a spirit being possessed by a, an evil spirit that's making you behave in ways that are destructive, either to yourself or another, we might call that a, a core unconscious belief, you know, or a, 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 inter, a negative internalized schema or something like that, Yeah, our fancy words. There's, there's an analogy I like that uh, it's by a gentleman by the name of Shinzen Young. Have you read... The Science of Enlightenment Mm-mm. in that book. I, I like it a lot. He's a very kind of scientific, mathematically minded uh, Buddhist teacher. Mm. And he used this analogy of consciousness is like a three-layered cake. And ordinary life, we're walking around on the icing layer where, you know, this is this reality, this illusion, whatever you want to call it, is our conscious waking life. As you start to do the work, whether it's in a deep dive in therapy or psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy especially, that next layer under the surface is like, well, it can either be like a distracting circus or it could be skeletons in the closet, Mm. like uh, previously unaddressed uh, issues, traumas, uh, unfelt feelings, unshed tears, and uh, on the... The other end, it could be like spiritual materialism or, or, wow, look at this. This is so fascinating. Um, And so if the vector of healing is from the surface layer down to the innermost layer, which is the supreme self source, 
uh, that enlightened state of pure unbounded awareness, let's mm-hmm. say, you can get distracted swimming around or just have to do a lot of work cleaning out that closet to get to the source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that makes me think of, we, we like to quote Jung around here. Um, many people do, but you know, his, he's famous for having said about work with psychedelics, beware of unearned wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so I'm imagining you going breaking through that layer of frosting into the realm of perhaps skeletons or unacknowledged feelings like you described. And if you don't have a good context or help or guidance um, or support, then you can run into some quote-unquote knowledge that you don't know how to process. Yeah, and That can be disruptive in, a, in a, a non-growth sort of way, perhaps. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when we enter a course of therapy with someone, whether it's you know, with psychedelics or not, say it's uh, some kind of therapy for trauma, EMDR for trauma even, there needs to be that uh, stable foundation. There needs to be the skills to navigate the dysregulation, the difficult stuff that comes up, because sometimes you do feel worse before you feel better. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we want to do is have someone feel worse in such an overwhelming way that you know, we all have to hit the panic button, pause, and not proceed. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have the the personal inside and external resources in place. Um, do you think that's related to the unearned wisdom? I think piece? so. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jung was implying that uh, to, maybe to earn the wisdom, you had to do the work of creating this, this safe yeah. foundation to return to when you need to, you know, it's like, you know, when we study attachment in, in, in young children, we call a secure attachment, something where, uh, a phenomenon where a, a child might be able to leave the presence of their parent, explore, maybe even get hurt, maybe even get distressed, but they know where to return to for support. And that, yeah. that pattern of like, I can go venture out and explore. And I feel safe doing that because I know there's a safe relationship for me to return to to be comforted, to feel secure, but maybe even to make sense of what I, what I discovered. And if you just sort of fly into your unconscious without that safe home base, um, you might be, you know, quote unquote, getting wisdom that you didn't earn by doing the work first. That's kind of what I think about when I think about that quote. I like that. It reminds me of how as babies, humans are, pretty helpless like Mm -hmm. you cannot one of the few mammals that really can't care for itself at all in the early stages so we have this crying this call for help learn to ask for help at an early phase and ideally in that secure attachment relationship we cry for help we get we get the right amount we don't not way too much not way too little Mm -hmm. uh, which can lead us off in difficult directions as far as our um, sense of self goes and Mm -hmm. safety and the same thing applies now you need that safe container that uh, that corrective healing experience around you to go through some of the most difficult of the work Mm -hmm. yeah without the safe container kind of like we're saying it's you don't uh, you might not even be likely to, to venture out without uh i mean people do but it's hard to muster up the courage when you don't have that safe container providing you with the reassurance that 
I will be okay, even if I go out under these choppy waters. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but I'm thinking about how many of us, most of us probably have a strong inner critic mm. or self-critic, and how that can develop in a number of different ways from having too little praise or having too much praise. Like if someone is told all throughout their childhood, you're the best singer in the world, you're amazing, mm. uh, and then they turn 15 or 20 and they go audition for American Idol and there's a camera on them and they sing the worst thing ever. They and a they, Simon Cowell moment. Yeah, they get torn apart, guilt and shame, and they never want to sing again. Just like the on the other end of the spectrum, in the Four Agreements, they give an example of a little girl who's singing and her mother working two jobs, sleep-deprived stress, just says, shut up, you have the worst voice ever, and she never sings again. Right. Um, but so we develop this inner critic either to protect us from either of those worst-case worst scenarios or, or harmful situations at the time where we didn't have the resources. So we start telling yourself, no, can't, you don't sing, you don't sing, or mm-hmm. you can't trust their praise, you don't sing to avoid that shame. And so then we can, and uh, then, of course, there's the path. Thankfully, the path to healing involves uh, shining the light of awareness on yeah. it and uh, kind of loving those lost exiled parts back into the light yeah it makes me think of unconscious contracts between intra-psychic parts so we can have an unconscious contract with other humans outside of us but there are also these i guess contracts made um by the different parts of us Mm -hmm. and they can we can know that we're self-critical but maybe we don't understand the function of our inner critic because it's unconscious it's down there in the cellars of our mind and so um you know, we never sing again, in part because that we don't want to be wounded again. We don't want to be hurt again in the way that we we were back then when we were initially criticized. Um, and then that sort of mutates. And as an adult, it's not super useful anymore, but it remains. And so I like the way you described it, shining the light of awareness on that inner critic, why that critic is functional, why it persists, showing it the qualities of the higher self, right? Showing it love compassion, understanding, curiosity, allowing it to heal or bringing it out of exile and integrating it into the self is I think something that psychotherapy is really good at doing, but psychotherapy enhanced by psychedelics for sure yeah. is really good at doing. Oh, I like how the, the MAPS MDMA therapist manual talks about that. If, if someone's going into parts work, you guide them there, you go there with them mm-hmm. or other approaches like internal family systems by Dick Schwartz uh, talks about this idea of, I don't know, a conference table in your mind where all these different parts of ourselves uh, exist. And we have, you know, the true self, like you mentioned, but there are also these protectors like Mm -hmm. managers, firefighters, managers, day-to-day busyness. They distract us from feeling the uncomfortable things. Firefighters, protect those core wounds where if someone's going to touch a big button, uh, they're going to blast it with a fire hose the minute it comes too close. Mm -hmm. And we may have no idea initially what's going on, that there is this deep wounded inner child and their protectors doing the best they can to protect us from such a deep, painful thing. 
but we may not need them anymore. Right. And that's where the awareness comes in. Right? Yeah, I like the IFS model because I think it helps people make sense of their own behavior that doesn't make sense to them. Uh, and a lot of my clients, and I have this experience myself, will say, yeah, I keep doing this thing. I keep following this pattern and I don't know why I do it. Yeah. Why would I keep doing something that is obviously destructive? It's obviously causing me distress. Why would I keep doing it if I don't want to do it uh, and I don't understand why I do it? So mm-hmm. I, I think the IFS model does a good job of showing um, why those things persist. It's like these, as I was saying, these contracts between parts that have descended into the unconscious. And they, it's like, like Jung also said that... Uh, you know, unless you make the conscious, the unconscious conscious, it'll dictate your life and you'll call it fate. Yeah, I love that quote. Well, this has been great, Steve. Yeah. Thanks for uh, chatting with me, brainstorming about the unconscious. I love it. Thank you for joining us today. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. This will help us get into the ears and faces of more people and help us put wind in the sails of the psychedelic medicine renaissance. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, You can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.